Welcome to the Football Outsiders Radio Hour on Twitch. Football Outsiders Radio Hour, not always an hour, never on the radio, but always with a lot of good football talk. I am Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders. I'd like to welcome all of our viewers at twitch.tv slash fboutsiders, as well as anybody uh, watching after the fact on YouTube or listening to us uh, via podcast. Uh, thanks for welcoming us back after a two-week break. Uh, one of those weeks was supposed to be a break because I was on vacation, and one of those weeks was a mistaken break because we forgot to record the show. But we're back now, and I've got my guests here, Mike Tanier and Scott Spratt from Football Outsiders. I'd like to welcome you both to the show, back to the show. And this is important because this is Mike's first show after we've announced that Mike is now, for the first time, full-time Football Outsiders employee. Mike has been writing for the site since 2004 and is now a full-time Football Outsiders writer for the, full time, for the first time. Mike, welcome to the family, like to the inner circle of the family. <laughs> it is so tough to break into this industry. I was a young pup in 2004. I submitted some things to Aaron Schatz. Here I am 16 years later with my gray bristly beard, and I finally get hired. In between, I did absolutely nothing of substance, but I'm happy to be here. Scott, you had hair when you first met Aaron. Is that correct? I did. I was going to say congrats on breaking in when you were like 14 years old. I mean, I'm just <laughs> guessing right now that you're in your mid to upper 30s. So, oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. My cholesterol might be in the mid to upper 30s. But it's good. It's great to be here. And it's an exciting day. The preseason schedule was just announced. Oh, yes. The preseason <laughs> schedule with the new. So I guess now a little bit of space between the last game and the start of the regular season and cut downs every week after mm. each set of games. Right. Uh, it's, it's interesting because they announced the national uh, television and they are uh, televising two week two games mm -hmm. on ESPN. And then a week three, one game on Fox and one game on CBS. And I thought that was interesting because my expectation was that the new preseason week two would become what used to be week three, right? right? That week two would be the, uh, the so-called uh, dress rehearsal. Right. And that week three would now be the future gas pumpers of Tallahassee. <laughs> I wonder if the fact that CBS and Fox are getting week three games signifies that they don't think that that's going to be the case. Because I have a feeling they're going to be sorely mistaken and that the, the week three is going to be the week that's all backups and week two is going to be the only week that has starters playing. They may be right, although I think one of the main things is when does the college football season start? When are the kickoff classics? Because that's what the, you know, the uh, television networks don't want to sully up like the, the Labor Day weekend and things like that with, with uh, preseason football. They're going to want those big college games. So if we, whichever week we're talking about is the one before college football has their kickoff classics and all, that's probably the one where they're going to load it with a lot of uh, NFL preseason games. I was going to say that, I mean, they're they're televising the schedule release in primetime. So, I mean, <laughs> clearly they think that you'll watch whatever football product they put on the air. So why not be P.J. Walker uh, on Fox? <laughs> you know, historically, though, they've always done the thing. Preseason football. Let's get the Patriots on three times in the preseason. And like, so, let's put Tom Brady on the on the on the picture, on the logo, like when we're advertising the game during How I Met Your Mother and Young Sheldon. 
And, you know, so it's never about like, well, you know, logically you as a, a an informed fan, no, you're not going to be watching Tom Brady. You're going to be watching you know, Ryan Mallett back in the day or, uh, you know, wh- whoever, the, the poor Stidham kid or whoever it was. So, so they never look at it and say, hey, you want to see a rookie quarterback? Let's put that on the primetime game. It's always some team that they sort of want to market like because they're a, a well-known team, not because they're going to play interesting players that week. Yeah, Tampa Bay would actually be interesting to see in the preseason in that they have Kyle Trask and like no depth. So it's interesting to see Kyle Trask. It will also be interesting that they have no depth. But yeah, yeah I agree with you. Like the preseason, what I want to see are teams like Tampa, but by the way, teams that have young top rookie quarterbacks as their backups. I want to see Minnesota. I want to see Chicago. If Fields ends up being the backup, I want to see Tampa Bay. Uh, I want to see Houston. Uh, The Panthers, Sam Darnold, all the exciting players. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) I keep throwing those Panthers in. A lot of Panthers talk before we came on, you folks. You missed it, and you should thank us for this. Uh, we're going to, we're going to get to the Panthers. We're going to get to the <laughs> NFC South. We're going to get to the Julio Jones trade. We talked first, first of all, Mike, I just want you to know you are loved in the chat. Reuter NFL says we love Mike in a platonic way. You can so love you me. are loved. I'll bet you that's Chad Reuter. So hi, Chad, if that's you. I hope so. I, lo- um, I love you, Chad, in a fraternal way. We should talk about all the stuff that's going on at Football Outsiders. If you're listening to this as a podcast, if you're watching us on Twitch, you're hopefully a regular Football Outsiders readers. So along with announcing Mike's sort of full-time status, we announced a ton of changes and updates yesterday. So I want to kind of talk about some of those. The big first one is team pages. We now have specific team pages for every team that have like a small summary of what's going on with that team and links to the top player pages from that team. And what we now call the DVOA grades. Uh, DVOA grades are uh, take DVOA and turn them into a grade from A to F so it's easier to understand. You don't have to worry about whether 30% is really good or kind of good and what 5% is or minus 20%. We're just gonna turn it into a grade from A to F to help you understand. I want to thank I, I, I Nickham. It went away there, but for subscribing. Uh, we're going to be adding postseason finally into the DVOA database. That's coming soon. Uh, a big deal is the return of the Loser League. We are bringing back the Loser League this year, a more intricate Loser League where you'll pick a team every week, uh, new players every week to pick your best losers, and the winner uh, each week is going to win a prize, and then the big overall grand prize loser is going to win a trip to the Super Bowl. I don't know. Am I allowed to call it that on Twitch? I don't know where you have to call it the big game. Going to, yeah. going to win a, a trip to the big game uh, <laughs> and a chance to meet me, Aaron Schatz, your favorite Twitch host, uh, if you win the Loser League. So like, we're really psyched about bringing the Loser League back. Uh, shout out to Ian Dembski if he's out there, creator of the Loser League, original writer of Scramble for the Ball back in 2003. Uh, but we are really psyched for the return of the Loser League. And then the other big uh, new change, we haven't been able to introduce them yet, but I'm going to let Scott go through all of the expanded fantasy data, fantasy football data that we're going to have. Scott, you're because you're, you're in charge of all of this. You're doing all this expanded fantasy football data. Yeah, I mean, hypothetically, I'm going to do it, but I actually have to get through my almanac stuff. So I'm getting to it as quickly as I can. But the general idea is you're going to have some FO plus pages that lets you do filter type searches to look at which players are getting a lot of carries, a lot of targets, you know, getting good shares of the available possible touchdowns, a lot of things like that that help you sort of decide how productive players are going to be in fantasy going forward, whether or not that's turned into actual touchdowns or actual whatever receptions so far this season. There's going to be about seven or eight of those that I think are going to probably be very helpful and allow you to do some some really cool filtering searches. I saw someone was writing about the Stanley Cup playoffs on Twitter and talked about expected goals and the rise sort of in analytic circles in every sport of sort of expected such and such stats. They're very useful stats. Right. to figure out when opportunity turns into reality because a lot of times opportunity is more predictive than the actual outcomes. And I think for fantasy football, that's definitely the case is there's a lot of times 
in which opportunity is more predictive than outcome and Scott's stats are now going to be available on FO plus that are going to list a lot of opportunity uh, rather than just outcome. I should mention also, by the way, they're going to be available at a lowered price. So that's the biggest part of the change and all the stuff we're adding. The new lowered prices for Football Outsiders FO Plus, it is now $4.99 a month for an annual subscription or $9.99 a month if you want a monthly subscription. And that includes access to the digital version of Football Outsiders Almanac 2021, as well as all the historical digital almanacs and the Kubiak fantasy football projection system for the preseason, and all of Scott's fantasy projections weekly during the season, and all of that data for fantasy football that we're gonna be putting up, and all of the expanded player pages and team pages and the old DVOA stats and all that stuff that's that's in FO Plus is gonna now be $4.99 a month with an annual subscription, and it's 50% off through July 1st. So yes. if you've never subscribed to FO Plus, this is the time to do it. It's just $250 a month for the next year if you subscribe before July 1st. That's cheaper than Paramount Network. You could get all of us or you can get all of old Star Trek and all the kind of crappy <laughs> new Star Trek. Or you can get all of our new material here. You know, that, that is an unbelievably, unbelievably fair price. I, I would ask you for a Patreon. I would ask you for more than that. And I'd send you a crappy newsletter and it would just be me uh, being angry at the Eagles and like hungover. You get the entire football outsiders database and all the power and all these new things that we're bringing in for an incredible low price. Expanded, all kinds of expanded football stats or an entire history of John Tester screaming at bar owners on Paramount <laughs> Plus. Like that is your options out there. So- Chad, Chad Reuter says he smells a deal. And if he smells a deal, you know there's a deal out there. So we will definitely, uh, we definitely were looking to add a lot of really cool stuff to FO+. We've lowered the price of FO+. We really want to expand how many people are doing FO+. So check that out uh, at footballoutsiders.com, all the new stuff that we're doing. Let's talk football. The big move of this week, which came down while I was on vacation having lunch, was Julio Jones traded to the Tennessee Titans for a second and a conditional fourth. The conditional fourth, the condition has to do with like, it's something like it's either going to be one of those uh, compensatory picks or it's going to be a regular pick depending on whether Tennessee has a compensatory pick or not, whatever. It's a second and a fourth, uh, which are probably going to be a low second and a low fourth if Tennessee is as good as people expect. What was the response from you guys when you heard about the trade? Did you feel like Atlanta got enough? Were you surprised that Tennessee got Jones for just a second and a fourth? Are you surprised other teams weren't in on this? What, what was your thought? Go ahead, Mike. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's a good deal for Tennessee. I wasn't surprised by the compensation because, you know, you, you look at the Overall, uh, you know, the cap hit of a guy and an age of a guy like like Julio, et cetera. And you're like, well, that's it. Teams at this point are not going to invest the first in him for a variety of reasons. And I like the pick for Tennessee. But, you know, with a reservation, we've been talking a lot about uh, in the Almanac about how Tennessee was this team that has a low projection. Yeah, so, com comparative to what people expect for them or what their record was last year, they have a low projection because they were only – 14th in DVOA last year, despite being 11 and five uh, during the regular season, they were seven and two in one score games. Right. And those are all like red flags. And I've been working, like I said, I've been working with you guys for many, many years. Uh, you, we know that that often turns into a disappointing season. So the million miles up view of this is okay. You're an 11 win team. You're on the verge of a super bowl. You need a missing piece to your offense. You grab the missing piece to the offense. So on all of that, it's like, it makes sense. So it makes sense, obviously, within the building for Tennessee to do these things. Uh, when you look at it in this more analytical line, it's like, here's a team that probably was overvalued, that's just added an older player. And, you know, does this mean this is they're, they're a team that, like, treads water now and, like, is able to return to 11-5 because of Julio or was on its way to, you know, an eight-win season or something like that? And is now just, you know, it's a different view, I think, when you look at it a little bit more granularly. That said, 
what's the alternative for Tennessee? Like, oh, you know what? Our projection for DVOA says we're going to fall off. So let's just give up and not go out and get a player like Julio Jones. So again, it makes sense for the organization. I'm not sure what its impact is going to be. Yeah, I actually think I like it more for Tennessee than it seems like you might, Mike, because I feel like Tennessee is doing what the Falcons aren't doing, which is kind of choosing a lane. You're either going for it now or or you're not going for it now. In Tennessee, yes, they're flawed. Yes, they have a bad defense. But the way they have Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill locked up on the salaries that they do, it kind of forces them to go in. And I think this is a move that kind of makes sense for that window, having him as an older player. You know, from a compensation standpoint, I do feel like sometimes people forget that the NFL is a hard cap league. Uh, You see someone like DeAndre Hopkins say that, you know, first rounders aren't as good as Julio and I are. We know, but, you know, you carry a contract with you. And I think only about half the teams could even fit Julio in their salary cap as is. The Falcons couldn't do it and afford to pay their rookies and get under the cap, so they couldn't keep them. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I think think it makes sense for Tennessee in that respect. And, And so it's a worthwhile gamble. Hopefully their defense will be better. Defenses do, you know, regress more year to year than, than offense. Right. Yeah. yeah. They, got, they got guys on defense too. They went out and got guys. And so we talk about picking a lane. They went all in, they got Autry, hmm. they got uh, Bud Dupree. Um, and like we can talk about oh, Bud Dupree is the cleanup sack guy after the other guys in Pittsburgh, whatever they got guys on defense. So, so they've addressed all of their problems. So you're an 11 win team that addressed your problems. Uh, that's, that's what you do. And that's how you succeed in the NFL. So, you know, yeah, Th- thank you to AC Cook for gifting tier one subs to the FB Outsiders community. Really appreciate that. Uh, Matt Noskow asks, Scott, what sort of fantasy impact do you think this makes for the skill players on both teams? Is this where we get to have the Omidy Zacchaeus discussion? <laughs> oh, man, that's deep cut there. But no, it's not because nobody playing fantasy cares about deep, him. Deep cut. He's like the third wide receiver now for them. Uh, like, Kyle, I just, behind I just Kyle Pitts, is, is Kyle Pitts the number one or the number two wide receiver? I, I, I just moved Omidy Zacchaeus into the main section of football outsider oh, player comments. And, Rid- because... and Ridley's, got, Ridley's got a foot injury. He might be number one right now. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, unfortunately, this is bad news for Julio Jones's fantasy value. And it's bad news for AJ Brown's fantasy value because the Titans are a run first offense and the Falcons weren't. So, I mean, they're, they're going to get fewer targets, even if they're getting a bigger percentage of the targets from the Titans perspective. So I think the biggest fantasy winner is, is honestly Ryan Tannehill, a player that, you know, despite the lower volume has had a lot of success the last couple of years, uh, mostly by having, you know, good play action is it luck? I don't know. If you, if you keep out kicking your peripherals, is it luck? I don't know. But to me, he's the, the big winner why the two wide receivers themselves are losers. Maybe Calvin Ridley gets a small bump. I'm not sure there's a second Falcons receiver that I think, you know, really bumps up here. Russell Gage being a slot player, I think is a little bit less impacted by Julio's presence than you would expect. I think it's definitely like the Kyle Pitts, the can Kyle Pitts actually have value as a first year tight end discussion is 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 really heavily dependent on the fact that they don't have anyone else to throw to like it it really Mm -hmm. is like like how much would kyle pitts have to struggle to not put up numbers this year i mean is is hayden hurst just he's not that bad is he i mean no he's good he's good but just i mean pitts is just more of a downfield threat sure he's definitely the most talented uh i don't know i mean what do we think arthur smith is going to change about the falcons offense that's been kind of more extreme than anybody except maybe the Steelers in terms of a pass focus mm-hmm. with Mike Davis, maybe a more Derrick Henry type of player and that he succeeds after contact, if not nearly yeah. that good. Like, is this just going to become a lower passing volume play action focused offense? Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you make of that, Mike? I'm, I'm here for the Mike Davis because he broke a few <laughs> tackles in a couple of games last year being Derrick Henry. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I have erased the Falcons from my brain. The moment Julio was out of there, like even that whole thing while we used to do with the Falcons, ha ha ha, will they clear the over or not? Will they lose in the fourth quarter? I'm not real. I'm, I'm really not thinking about them that much. I'm guessing it's going to be too tight end, obviously, because of the two tight ends they've got there. And I'm guessing it's going to be pretty terrible overall because you talked about picking a lane earlier. They've not picked a lane. They've got this veteran quarterback in a play out the string mode with a ginormous contract. And I think it's going to be palliative for most of the year. So yeah, Ridley stats, that's great. You know, Kyle Pitts stats for, for fantasy, that's great. I'm looking at my, my uh, app here and they've got the over and under for wins for the uh, Titans at 9.5 for the Titans, 9.5. I could go either way with that. 
The over-under for Atlanta for wins is still 7.5. Even a 17-game season trying to wrap my brain around, I cannot find 7.5 wins for the Atlanta Falcons is currently constructed. Atlanta, Atlanta is the opposite of Tennessee in that Atlanta like very much underperformed last year, but given what's what's happened with the roster over the offs, I'm with you. I think I go under the seven and a half. By the way, Jay Molnar 94 says, are they actually going to use Kyle Pitts as a tight end? He's basically a wide receiver. Well, he may run a lot of wide receiver routes, but he's going to run them from the slot. And for the fantasy football discussion, what matters is he's going to be listed (laughs) as a tight end in fantasy football. Right. The problem is the Falcons aren't really bad because Matt Ryan's offenses have finished in the top half of the league, 11 of his 13 seasons. So they're not bad enough to get another quarterback, which is why the Pitts pick was such a strange move. Again, this is the one foot in the competitive lane, one foot yeah. in the rebuilding right. lane. I've been thinking about that too. Like it, it really is weird. If they knew they were going to have to get rid of Julio Jones, they probably should have just blown it up and started over and the right way to blow it up and start over would have been to trade Matt Ryan to someone like Denver. Well, and then to draft me. Justin Fields. I, I, I don't think see. they could have done that. That yeah. he carried like a seventy million dollar cap figure. It's like oh, they yeah, had that's, to. That's they hard had to, to trade. <laughs> they had to stretch. They had to stretch him again. This is another thing they had to do because of bad moves in the past. Mm-hmm. Stretch his contract to even fit him in their cap and pay right. the rookies again. But you like that. That cap figure becomes much more tenable in twenty twenty three. I know it right. seems dumb. You like draft Justin Fields and then sit him for a year, maybe a year and a half. But what is their alternative? They're not. They're not going to be bad enough to get a good quarterback for a few years unless they do a Bears type trade. You draft Fields and you sit him for a year, and then you cut Ryan when it's all just cap dump a year from now. And that's kind of how you approach it. Or you try to find some weird trade partner and hope something breaks out. That, that's the best way to do it. And it's easy to do out here, you know, on Twitch. And it's hard to do when you're in the organization and you have people who've invested 13 years in working with Matt Ryan and saying, we're going to do this Machiavellian route. I think they should have considered it, but I understand why they didn't do it. But now they're in this predicament where, yeah, there's a, you're, you're right. There's a very good chance that they, oh yeah, we went seven and 10 because Ryan was adequate and the defense played better than expected and everything. Now, where's your, where's your quarterback of the future? Where's your quarterback of the future? You still don't have an avenue to get one. Thank you to uh, Sinister One for following us. And Jay Molnar makes a good point, by the way, about that, which is don't forget the owner is 100 years old yeah. and probably didn't want to do a young quarterback and a restart. I don't think he's 100 years old. But you do – it's funny because you talk about, like, GMs who are in their – you know, who are in prove it years, they don't want to pick up young quarterbacks and restart the whole cycle. Right. Um, you never think about owners that way. Like are, are there owners who are like, okay, we need to win now because like, I'm tired of sitting around. Like we need to win now. The, the Bears owner, has, the Bears yeah. owner, Virginia McCaskey, isn't she 98? Yeah. So, I mean, she, she was willing to draft Justin Fields. Yeah. Leon Hess, when he hired Rich Kotite in 1990-whatever for the Jets, basically said, I'm 82 years old, I want to win a championship. And in Jets tradition, that meant going and getting Rich Kotite to be your head coach. So uh, they do think like that. I know Arthur Blank thinks in terms of it being a family organization. He really talks in that that terminology and likes – considering himself sort of a marquee owner who's not going to like do something Machiavellian and, you know, cut, cut guys loose for reasons like that. So I can see him thinking that way. Never underestimate the coach and GM, the other side of it, the new ones, new hires love the red shirt year of saying, oh, we're going to have to need the first year. We really just have to clean up the mess of the last guy so that they can keep expectations low for another year. So you'll see that with like really bad quarterbacks. Of course, you'll take a mulligan year with Matt Ryan and then be like, oh, you know what? Now we really have to go seek that quarterback in the future. You can see Arthur Smith, the new regime, thinking that way. Yeah, but again, you know, with Matt Ryan at quarterback, they're not going to totally suck. They're going to be okay. And it's probably they're going to end up picking like seventh next year, which, I mean, you know, hey, Justin Fields went in that area, so you could get a quarterback if you're picking seventh or eighth, but you're not going to get the top quarterback. Could, Could the Falcons win the division if Brady got hurt, though? I mean, based on our projections, the most likely winner of that division, if something happens to Tampa Bay, is New Orleans. And this is where we could just get into talking about the whole NFC South, because New Orleans is going to have one of the top defenses in the league if our projections come out right. And so the fact that the offense is nowhere, you know, not going to be as good as it was last year, 
they're still going to be good on special teams and really good on defense. So, I mean, we have them second in the division. Well, you can get Falcons to win the NFC South plus 800 right now. Well, I mean, you, Aaron mentioned earlier how little depth the Bucks had, and people didn't notice that last year because I think they had the fewest adjusted games lost in football. They were either one or two, right? And yep, number one. Vita Vea was really the only significant player they lost, and he got back in time to make an impact later in the postseason. So right. that's a lot of things going right for a team that, while they're not an older team per se, apart from Brady, that's just you hardly ever see teams consistently beat the odds from a, from a luck injury luck perspective. I don't know. Right. I mean, if something happens to Brady, yeah. You know, and if something happens to Matt Ryan, then the Falcons disappear. And I, so, so, so you can do that. But I just wanted to go through the odds again. So plus 800. Uh, if you really want to gamble for the NFC South, it's plus 1100 to win a division for your Carolina Panthers. Yeah. If only we didn't have the, the least exciting quarterback in the, in the league. <laughs> you know, so prepping for the show, I tried to make a case that Maybe the Matt Rule, Scott Fitterer group was really good at, you know, identifying diamonds in the rough, these like distressed assets. But I think it's actually just Robbie Anderson so far. So I don't think I can make that claim. It really is. I mean, it really is such an amazing gamble. They're really taking a colossal gamble that Adam Gase was that bad that he made Darnold look that horrible the last couple of years. Because this is a guy who's been at the bottom of the league and whose numbers got worse every year for his first three years. Right. right. Well, who do, yeah. Which which team do you think made the bigger mistake not taking Justin Fields, the Falcons or the Panthers? Hmm. Oh, that's. Hmm. I mean, I, you, the yeah. pan the Panthers. I think the Panthers because the Falcons do still have Ryan, mm-hmm. and because uh, it was a higher pick, and, and like the further down Fields got, the more of an issue it was that you weren't taking him. Right. That's a good point. Like here it is an opportunity sitting in your lap. You don't have a lot invested in the quarterback position. You are supposed to be a rebuilding team. And you say, yeah, we go with Sam Darnold. I mean, Sam I Darnold, guess Will Greer, we're fine. And all yeah. the Temple Owls, all the 2016 <laughs> Temple Owls, you can shake a stick at. If the, if, if Darnold is not good, then the Panthers have a much easier path to getting a, like a real rebuilding quarterback though. Right. Yeah. Jay Molnar says the team that made the biggest mistake by not getting fields is the Broncos. Yeah. Unless the Broncos end up with Aaron Rodgers or or Deshaun (laughs) Watson, if I can even say that. Yeah. Kareem Jackson this week came out and said that Deshaun Watson personally told him that he wants to play for the Denver Broncos. I have no idea if that's true or not. I'm sure Deshaun Watson is happy to tell any of his friends who play for any of the other 31 teams, how much he wants to play for that team. That is not the Houston Texans. Yeah. Or how about Matt, maybe Matt Ryan? He'll be the Broncos quarterback in a year or two, and then problem solved. He's tall, and he is a pocket passer, and John Elway might see a little bit of John Elway in him, and those are the three uh, characteristics of, uh, of a good uh, Broncos quarterback. Yeah, I lost a lot of Super Bowls, too, there, Matt. Then I won some. Come win some with me. I could, I could, I could, see, I could see Elway going into that mood. I honestly could see that. If Rodgers doesn't go somewhere, I could totally see Matt Ryan in Denver. That would work. You could see like a line of every veteran quarterback and just like walking into the office to talk to Elway, you know, and I'm doing like a reality TV show to see who's going to be the uh, Broncos quarterback. Or, or just think about it in time, like two or three years of Matt Ryan and then two or three years of Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> and, and then. Uh, well, the problem is, are they, are they going to be fighting the bucks for those retiring quarterbacks because again like they, they're just a setup and they're no in because brady will still be yeah. playing in six oh, years okay. <laughs> so the bucks aren't going to have to replace him forever because he's never ever going to retire and father time is never ever going to get him <laughs> um, oh man you've been you've, you've ingested too much boston media sir yeah, well, either that or it's just bitterness about the fact that, I mean, one of the reasons the Patriots allowed him to leave was the idea that, well, eventually he's going to have to age. And guess what? That didn't happen yet. Right. right. It makes you feel better. He would not have won a Super Bowl with your team. Last oh, year. I don't think he would have come close. I mean, it no. was funny. Last year, there were people like, how on earth could the Patriots have gotten rid of Brady? 
Like we, we would have been in the Super Bowl if Brady was here. And it's like, do, do you look around the rest of the team? Like, first of all, look at who the receivers are. Second of all, look at what has happened to your defense. Do you really think that they would have won something if Brady had stayed here? No, they would have been nine and seven if Brady had yep. stayed here. Yeah. I'm not sure how like an NFC South conversation ended up being about the Patriots, but that that's just football for you these days. Well, it's Tampa Bay, man. I mean, that the new Tampa Bay, New England connection is that, you know, with Gronk down there and Brady down there. And when Edelman, the fact, the fact, despite the fact that Edelman's knees are shot when Edelman said he was retiring, everyone's response was he's not retiring. He's going to Tampa. So I will say it's yeah. funny because I was just in Tampa. That's where I was last weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Sarasota, but we flew in and out of Tampa. They have these billboards all over Tampa that say Super Bowl champions that aren't actually advertising anything. Like, I don't know who bought the billboards. <laughs> They're not advertising any products. It just says Super Bowl champions with the Tampa Bay logo. I don't know whether the team just bought them to celebrate or what, but it's like just to remind everybody who's driving on the highway that they won the thing. Yeah, put on your Rowdy Roddy paper, they live glasses, and you'll see it's a TB12 subliminal advertisement. Mm. You watch, looked at that, said, that's interesting, that's interesting. I need a damn kale smoothie right now, and I can only get it from one. I was going to say that explains why, you know, here I was on vacation, and I went and bought avocado ice cream. (laughs) I could have bought real ice cream, but no, something was in my head. I don't know what it was. So something I love about Brady is he seems to have the sixth sense of which division to get in to really ease his road to the Super Bowl. And it was a little less obvious, I think, going to the Buccaneers. But now that you're staring at it, you're like, man, could he be in any better situation? This kind of came up to me even looking for the Saints, actually. Here is the dead cap situation in the NFC South right now. The Bucs, 2.2 million. That's the third lowest. And then the Falcons, Panthers, and Saints are all in the top six with at least $20 million in dead cap. Right. I mean, these other teams, they're in various states of rebuilding or, or denial about the need to rebuild. And the Bucks have an unbelievable path to the Super Bowl for the next two years if Brady can stick it out that long. The Bucks were the only team that really went after signing him. So I don't know how much I want to reward him for picking them, but right. if he did pick them, it was smart because he recognized that, but he also recognized all the talent that they had not just on offense, but on defense that like just needed the star quarterback to have it all gel. And that's the, that's the Broncos argument, right? Yeah. That's the Broncos (laughs) argument right now. No, legitimately. Yeah. I mean, it's true. If if Tom Brady came on, they would be a different team. It's just that where Aaron Rodgers comes on, et cetera, but they imported Sam Darnold. They imported Sam Darnold for Tom Brady. So he could feel more comfortable this year in the NFC South. Mm. And not only that, but when Brady is not putting up those billboards, making you buy avocado ice cream, he's on Facebook being like, Hey, you know what? Vaccinations cause infertility, comma, Sam. And he's making sure that everything is working out. (laughs) That's just depressing. I'm curious what you guys think about the fact that the, that the, the football outsiders projections have the saints so high, like right now, it's partly because I'm projecting them with Winston as the quarterback. But even if we have Taysom Hill projected as the quarterback, they only lose like one win. I mean, you know, our, our, our averages are always really close to, well, I was going to say eight and eight, but our averages are always really close to eight and 8.5, but still. (laughs) uh, So, so one win is a big difference between Winston and Hill, but still like our defensive and special teams projections. I mean, special teams projection is, it doesn't add much defensive projection for them is very strong and their offensive projection is not terrible. It's slightly below average because the fact is Winston, that 30 interception year is an exception. Like, I don't think he has another year above 20 and you have the fact that Sean Payton has a history of designing good offenses. You have Michael Thomas there. You have Alvin Kamara there. You have an offensive line with a lot of quality players and continuity. Like, there's reason to believe, I think, that the Saints are not going to completely dissolve. What do you guys think about that? You want me to start? I mean, yeah. the Saints had a very good one-loss record with backups behind Breeze the last few years and Teddy Bridgewater and and, uh, and Taysom. But maybe, I don't know if you would know this off the top of your head, Aaron, but like, were those, those records, were they supported by correspondingly good DVOAs not or, as good as with breeze were, right but like I, I was thinking that maybe 
those games, the, those records may have been more a result of like, you know, winning in close game situations or mucking it up or whatever things yeah, that might not necessarily be consistent over the full season. So well, I, that I am, game was just throw that game out. Right. I, I am surprised. And to me, like the sort of the thing in my mind that sort of lives outside of maybe the DVOA projections is the interplay between offense and defense. And like Winston is a great example of this in my mind, because DVOA was screaming how good the Buccaneers defense was while Winston was the quarterback, but he kept sticking in them with short fields and it completely sabotaged their chances to win. So, I mean, if, if Hill or Winston are significantly worse than breeze was, I think the defense will feel that effect, even if they weren't going to be worse on a per play basis over a smaller number of plays with a good quarterback. Yeah. I think of the saints as, as the Patriots last year, Brady leaves, Breeze leaves. Defense is still strong. Defense is still strong. Cam Newton, Taysom Hill. Okay, that's a little crazy. But like, oh, we've got this option thing that we can run sometimes. Whatever. I can see the same kind of season where it's like, oh, look at that close loss. Look at that close loss. Oh, we all came together and had a win here. I just don't see a particularly relevant team. Well, except except for the fact that the Patriots lost a ton of defensive talent. And we knew, like we projected that their defense was going to collapse. And it did. Right. Whereas the Saints still have all their defensive talent and we're projecting that their defense is going to be top five. Right. And it's, but it's an older defense. I can see it going off that way. They've been seeing their talent kind of dissipate over the last couple of years. Whereas the, the, the Patriots, it was this one big thing where a lot of people opt out, but you know, from a thousand miles up, that's the kind of season I'm anticipating where they hover around 500 and it's sort of a defense and ball control type thing. And we're kind of looking at like, what's the actual future at quarterback? These guys are not the actual future at quarterback. What's it going to be? I just want to throw out here. Uh, you can get action on your favorite local uh, legal sports book in the state where it's legal on who will be the opening day starter for the New Orleans Saints of quarterback. The action right now is Jameis minus 250, Taysom plus 175, and fighting Irish fans, Ian Book at plus 3,300. <laughs> nice. I'm, fe I'm feeling taste with this. I'm feeling taste with this. I, 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 you know, we can say the law of like of rational coaching uh, and say it's got to be Jameis, but I've seen some irrational coaching when it comes to Sh Sean Payton. And Taysom, uh, last yeah. year, the fact that Winston was not the quarterback when Breeze got hurt was irrational. Right. Well, can, can I make a counterpoint in, in Taysom's favor or maybe in like counter to Winston support? Okay. Which is that, oh, let me, I got to find this real quick. But so the Saints last year in Taysom Hill starts, it was four weeks, 47.9% success rate. In Breeze's starts, 52.7%. That difference is 4.8%. Obviously, Breeze being the better passer. But then look at the Buccaneers over the last two years. Jameis' offense two years ago, or, or in 20, what, 2019, 43.2%. With Brady last year, 48%. That difference exactly the same 4.8%. Mm. Like I know that it looks completely different, but even choosing a stat like success rate, which doesn't, you know, really heavily penalize a player for throwing interceptions and that type of stuff like Winston would, both of these guys sort of shepherded the same offensive decline with their, with their teams going from a really good hall of fame quarterback as each other. So why are you so convinced that Winston is the better quarterback? Isn't he just more conventional? Well, because Brady 2020 is a lot better than Breeze 2020. Is that why? Yeah. And, and, and Taysom, I mean, I, I watched every single snap of those games. I can see, I can see the He got away with some, like, there was a ball to Emmanuel Sanders well, that no, goes as a long gain in the stats. Let me cut you off. up there like crazy floating. <laughs> Let me cut you off. I'm not arguing that Taysom is as good as Winston. I'm arguing that Winston is as bad as Hill. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and you can, and, and that's an argument I can listen to. Absolutely. Especially, you know, Sean Payton is watching training camp, you know, and if he's watching Jameis and saying, yeah, I'm going to stick with Taysom here. That's got to, that's got to mean something somewhere along the way. He went, he went with Teddy Bridgewater two years ago. What, what Payton should do is make it an open competition every week and never announce who the starter is going to be before yes. game time. And that way defenses would be just have a total nightmare trying to prepare for two completely disparate quarterbacks. Right. right. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that's what he does. <laughs> and they each start like eight games. It would not and, surprise me. And Ian book starts the 17th. <laughs> just for fun. Ian book is like, we were talking on the draft shows. Like he was the, 
biggest head scratcher draft pick of the year. Mm -hmm. Like people were like, like anybody who's a draft Nick had him as basically undraftable. And the fact that they took him in, uh, what was it like the fourth round? Fourth round just, I believe. Everybody is just scratching their heads. Like what the hell? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like, I like them more than the other draft Nicks, but I, you, you see it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, pepper armed scrambly guy, you, you know? So if you're looking for someone to back up Taysom Hill, it's actually Ian Book to that degree. But yeah, as a fourth round pick, that's not, I think what really happened was there was a run on all those second tier meh quarterbacks that kind of came through. You know, you know the, they got the Stanford guy and then Vikings got, uh, you know, Kellen Mond, dude, yeah. you know, the Chris Sims. Davis Mills. Right, right. So you got you, Davis Mills. So like everybody, oh, well, now's the time. It's a run on like the, uh, the, the other quarterbacks. So they grab the guy there. I, I don't necessarily understand it because you're either committed to this Jason. Like you either think either that, that Taysom really is some kind of quarterback of the future, or you found the diamond in the rough in Taysom, or you need an actual quarterback solution. And it's like, now you got two half measures. And I guess Ian books like one eighth of a measure. I'm going to wait until I have any kind of grasp on how to evaluate a college quarterback from a pro perspective until I criticize any quarterback pick. Like I just, I don't think I have any idea which rookie quarterbacks are going to be good. And, and I'm not sure teams really do either. Uh, thank you to Overfloater8 for subscribing. Appreciate that. Uh, M. Nosco says, is there a bigger X factor in the division than Saints quarterback? I don't think so. There's Bucks health. And yeah. there's, does Sam Darnold truly suck or can Joe Brady get something <laughs> out of him? But I think Saints quarterback is the biggest X factor in the division. Well, yeah. Well, I guess it depends on how you would define X factor. Like how likely does it have to happen for it to be an X factor? Because if Sam Darnold was good, I think that would be transformative for the Panthers. I just don't think that's very likely. I also don't know if that's transformative for them this year, or it's like, now we have found a quarterback and we can complete our rebuild. Like uh, Sam Darnold is good. And now we can finish the job we're, we're, we're trying to do here. Whereas with the, uh, with the Saints, it's like we have discovered, you know, average quarterbacking out of James or, you know, gotten back some of Jameis's uh, luster from a couple of years ago. That really does keep them in the Super Bowl conversation. If their defense is what we think their defense right. will be, then absolutely it does. Right, right. I should uh, go back to Julio Jones here. We had a really cool Julio Jones graphic and we blew right past it when we were talking about Julio Jones. So I'm going to go back to talking just a little bit <laughs> about Julio Jones and because then we can talk about the Falcons and who the hell is going to play receiver for them. But Julio Jones, just to point out how good he is, Julio Jones uh, had six straight years in the top seven of our DYAR stats from 2014 to 2019 until he fell to 16th last year because of injuries. And he was still number two in DVOA. DVOA, of course, is per play. And DYAR is total value. So, of course, Jones was lower in total value last year because he missed uh, games with injury. But he was still really awesome in per play value. So, like, Julio Jones has not lost anything. And I went and looked at what routes he runs the most. He ran the most curls of any player in the league in 2019. And Tennessee was second in DVOA on curls last year. Mm. Mm. So it seems like a pretty nice match of player with scheme, assuming that they're still going to be running the same scheme, you know, even though they have a new offensive coordinator. And I feel like curl is the veteran quarterback and you have the receiver that is going to get a lot of off coverage. And the combination re- re- results in a lot of curls. And I think you kind of see, you saw that with Atlanta. You know, Ryan's going to be able to complete those. There's going to be off coverage on Rid- Ridley and Julio. So you get those plays. I think Tyna Hill as a veteran quarterback, uh, you know, who's been playing very well lately. I think that falls into the same line there. I was doing some stuff for the Almanac on curls. And it was like, it was Dalton that ra- that had a million curls. Now, part yeah. of that is, Part of that's McCarthy. He he only has six plays in the playbook, et cetera. But it's like, you know, Amare, CD, and Gallup, we go out. They got soft coverage on them. Now, keep in mind, also, a lot of times that soft coverage is, you know, you're up by 17 points, and you're sagging uh, into, like, a cover three or a quarter's coverage in front of these guys. And that, that was the case a lot for the Falcons and for the Cowboys. But, you know, it's still, you're right. It speaks to the idea this is a system fit. He's going to have some opportunities there, and he's going to be able to catch some short passes. We're already running a graphic in the book of Arizona's limited root tree. We should run one of Dallas's limited root tree and just <laughs> be able to compare them. 
Oh, I want to see the graphic. You got to let me see that. I'll have to send that to you. It's Vince's chapter. Arizona is done, so I'll have to send you the graphic. It's like a trips bunch formation uh, to the left because it's always to the left with DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, there's basically, I guess, two people running across or in front of DeAndre. And that's, that's, that's Cliff Kingsbury. That's the guru of the Big 12. And that's what they were running about 37 times a game. So the thing about Julio Jones is, and I don't know, Scott, if you have more Julio. Do you have more Julio stats you want to share as long as we come here to praise Julio Jones? Well, I mean, I had a lot of stuff prepped as a, as a sad Panthers fan about Julio. I don't know if we want to get into that or not. Sure, hit it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was absolutely floored to see that that Julio didn't have more DYAR against the Panthers than any other team. The Bucks, <laughs> it was actually the most for them, 475, but the Panthers were in second with 321. But the Panthers were responsible for two of Julio's two biggest DYAR games so far, and they were in quick succession. Uh, the first was back in week 16 of 2015. The Falcons won 20 to 13. Jones had 178 yards. And that was the only loss the Panthers suffered in that 2015 season when they went to the Super Bowl and then eventually lost there to the Broncos. Mm. And I was pretty sure that that was going to be the only chance the the Cam Newton Panthers had to get to a Super Bowl. I think I actually told you that on our previous podcast, Aaron. But I, I wanted some time to kind of come to grips with it. But instead, week four the next year, the Falcons beat the Panthers 48 to 33. And Julio had 300 yards on 12 catches. Oh, wow. No other Falcons receiver had more than 49 yards in that game. That game was so bad that the Panthers released cornerback Ben A. Ben Wickery after it, basically ended <laughs> his career. And that was coming on the heels of the Panthers kind of inexplicably rescinding Josh Norman's franchise tag in that offseason um, and letting him leave for Washington. So it was like, hey, the Panthers lost the Super Bowl. And guess what? It's the whole era is kind of over immediately. And Julio Jones, I kind of blame him. I'm glad that he is out of the division. That was really a one-year blip, wasn't it? Like, that team did not gradually build over time. Like, they just – they suddenly had one great year, and then that was it. It was a real unusual confluence of of positive factors from, like, one of the easiest schedules in the league, one of Newton's healthy seasons when there weren't really that many, and guys like Josh Norman popping up that had really limited runs of excellence. So fun to watch, though. Yeah, it was so fun to watch, but yeah, it was it was fleeting. So, so have you done new projections with Julio Jones in Tennessee? Do we have new Kubiaks yet? Or are you still working on that? No, that's that's a little bit on the back burner, but I'll be getting to that. But uh, as mentioned, I'm pretty confident he's going to end up with fewer projected fantasy points just based on volume. Yeah, because it really gets to the question. Like I said, like who replaces him in Atlanta? Like, there's no replacement there's Ridley and Pitts I mean Russell Gage mm-hmm. could you know Russell Gage might become draftable in deep leagues and then like I said the third receiver would I would think is now Olamide Zacchaeus it's either well, him or a guy named Christian Blake but Zacchaeus had more usage last year yeah so my, my thought was Zacchaeus is probably the third receiver now which means we get to say his name all the time and I'm probably mispronouncing it but it's an awesome name I'm glad all the minor the profits, all of the minor profits are going to be uh, coming <laughs> on and uh, and playing for the Falcons this year. We're going to see Micah and Malachi. It's going to be amazing. I'm glad Zacchaeus. we didn't play the game of making me try to guess the names of the other the other Falcons. <laughs> I don't remember Zacchaeus from the Bible. That's that's not what I remember. <laughs> there are definitely some G names though, so I'm with Mike from that perspective. No, but, look I mean, looking at the uh, looking at the depth chart on our lads, it's like Christian Blake, Zacchaeus. Uh, Corderell Patterson, who we know can't can't really play receiver. Uh, Tajay Sharp, remember mm. him? Used to be with Tennessee. He was actually released by someone else within the last few uh, weeks, right? Minis- so that's a, he was on Minnesota. That's a recent oh addition. God, yeah. So Tajay. with the but with the Titans, I feel like the second receiver, Corey Davis, was really more of a run blocker more than anything else. So like this second job is going to be just looking for who the next Muhammad Sanu is, right? This, we're not talking about a fantasy relevant player, no matter who gets that job. You mean in Atlanta? Right, with with Arthur Smith there. Yeah, that that might be true, in which case it's Gage, and maybe Gage blocks a lot. Is Gage an LSU guy? I'm trying to remember because LSU, yep, he is. I thought so. LSU guys have great reputations for wide receiver blocking. Mm-hmm. They do. He's small, it, though. Oh, he is. He's six feet 180 it looks like so yeah that's not too big but that's not like tiny no they can get out there and 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 throw it around a little bit on the edge and 
you know, and when as a slot guy, a lot of times those little slot guys are blocking another little slot guy. So yeah, you know, knock, knock him around there. Zacchaeus, amazing. With Tennessee, I took. Um, we had we were we were projecting Des Fitzpatrick, the fourth round pick, okay. as the third receiver, and we were giving him a full comment in the book. And I took that out. I moved him to the going <laughs> deep section with the Julio Jones trade because I have a feeling now he's going to be projected now for like 150 yards or something. Right, right. Because you got Josh Reynolds there now too. On the yep, Josh Reynolds is now the wide receiver three for that team. Right. And you always have to watch for the idea that, oh, you know, Arthur Smith's going to run the same system in, in Atlanta. Well, of course, they were running like option type stuff with Tannehill. You're not going to do that with Matt Ryan. I think, you know, like, okay, De- Derek Henry playing at, at the level he was playing. Yeah, we're going to feed him the ball. We're going to be more run oriented than, you know, than you might think is optimal in the NFL nowadays. We might not do that with Mike Davis. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what to expect. I do expect a lot of 12 personnel, obviously, because what, they, what they've got. But we might also just see a team that's throwing the ball out because they're behind, which means more passing opportunities for Tajay Sharp or whoever is uh, is in the lineup. For the yeah, I don't know. At some point, they are going to go three wide. I mean, even if they do 12 personnel, they're not going to do it more than half the time. So right. they're going to be three wide a lot. And I don't know I don't know who the, who's going to be the third guy, but I think it's going to be Zacchaeus. Ob- Obadiah. Obadiah. I recognize that I'm in the tank for Mike Davis and maybe that's not the right opinion to have, but it, why didn't the Falcons draft the running back? You know I mean? There were plenty. Cause of- they love Kadri Allison. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely the most shocking name that I was giving carries to in, in the preparation of Kubiak. I was like, are you really? Um, but who is he? Who is he? I, I, he was either a seventh rounder or an undrafted fifth. player. No, he's a fifth year. rounder okay. from 2019, 2019 miss- fifth rounder. How do I miss Allison? Because it's two years ago and he didn't play much in his first couple seasons. And uh, it's a running back. Like fifth round running backs are just a dime a dozen at this point. I drank this brain cell away. Kid from Pittsburgh, huh? But he's like, he's really more of a, I think he's kind of a bigger back, more of a power guy, which again, maybe that fits with the play action style that they're going to be trying to run here with Mike Davis and crew. But it seems weird that they didn't address the position more if they don't have confidence that Davis is a player. I don't know. Well, they have confidence that Davis is a player. I mean, it makes you wonder again, makes you wonder why he was cut by three teams before this or whatever, but that's running backs for you. Like that's running backs for you is guys could be cut by three teams. And then suddenly they're like superstars and then they get signed to big free agent deals and, or big for running back free agent deals. Yeah, the Allison kid had a nice career at Pitt. I don't know why I've spaced on him or whatever. He had a carry last year. He had one. And maybe the Falcons know deep down they are a rebuilding team that is simply stuck with the albatross uh, of, of Ryan right now. It's like, yeah, we're not going to invest at running back in the draft in this first year. It's, it's a good albatross to have if you have to have an albatross. I mean, yeah. the contract is the albatross, not the player. The player's right. still good. Right, absolutely. Right, the, and the idea that he can keep professionalism going and give other guys an opportunity to develop along the way, like Pitts, is good until you say, well, when are we going to get started on actually getting the quarterback of the future that the team is going to need if it's going to turn around and, and, and really move forward? Yeah, yeah, I don't even think Matt Ryan's contract is the problem. It, it's guys more like Dante Fowler who have such huge cap figures that that's what's preventing the team from making other improvements, where a lot of, a lot of teams would happily pay Ryan what he's being paid right now if it were on sort of a better schedule with everything else happening. Atlanta, yeah. Atlanta really is the all-name team. God, looking at their depth chart here, not only do they have Olamide Zacchaeus and Corderell Patterson, that's yeah. now the home of Barkevius Mingo. Yes. And Foyesad Oluokun. Nice. The underrated linebacker who I believe is the highest player in the Kubiak IDP projections who I didn't find when I looked up an, an, an ADP. Like I looked up an ADP for IDP. So okay. just, right, yeah. average draft position for individual defensive players, mm-hmm. just to see mm-hmm. how it differed from mm-hmm. my projections. Mm-hmm. And I believe that either Olakon or Josie Jewell of Denver were the guys that I had projected a lot higher than ADP. Olakon is the kid from Yale who every time they play him, he's like productive, but no one ever thinks about him at all. So what, what you're saying is you are Foyasade's biggest fan. I am Foyasade's <laughs> biggest fan, yes. say Hive Unite. We're if I know how to pro- I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Foyasade, Foyasade, 
How you say Oluokon. Like he's he's actually good. He's a good player. He was a sixth round pick and he's always produced whenever they've played him. They also have a fifth round defensive end named Ade Tokunbo Agundeji. I see it. I see it. I, and I and I believe it. Alini uh Putatawe is a, one of the undrafted free agents. Obviously, we, we can get like weird. I'm glad that they are uh, casting a wide net if this means they're getting more Polynesian players, players from uh, uh, other nations. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, it's funny because we talk about African names being funny, but it, right. it, in African languages, those names are normal. In no language is Barkevius Mingo normal. <laughs> well, I mean, my big takeaway from this is I actually feel a lot worse about Mike Davis being on this team than I did a few minutes ago. I can spell it. I'm happy. Joe Scalthorpe, guys. Joe Scalthorpe, a guard. Yeah. Scalthorpe. Yeah. They, they, there are good names in Atlanta, which will keep things interesting when they're going 7 and 10 <laughs> and not getting a top eight draft pick but not making the playoffs on it's gonna make me not write about them because i don't want to spell the names i'm sorry again for folks who have uh, non-european descent names i'm not like if you're if you're not kicking butt and i have an excuse to not spell it i'm not going to type it sorry. right just again just to, to not only talk about non-european descent names Heronis grasu i don't know what team he's on now <laughs> but that's one of the all-time names and that's very european and young ho is the kicker yes they have young ho Koo. Is it, is it Young Ho or Young Way? Young Way. I think it's Young Way. Yeah. Young Way. Yeah. The 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 star onside kick kicker of the NFL. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yes. Like that is a you know that is a play that I don't count at all in DVOA because it's one of those non-predictive plays. They're so rare, but he he's actually got like a little bit of a history of being pretty awesome on those onside kicks. Well, how do you have the best onside kicker in the league and then lose every close game like? All well, of them in agonizing fashion. The Falcons know the answer to this is when no one actually knows how to recover an onside mm, kick. Yeah. Right. And Julio is on the hands team being like, I don't remember what the rule, but I think I'm supposed to let it watch, watch it bounce for a while before I get it because there's a five second rule or something. It's like, maybe you shouldn't be on the hands team, Julio, if no one went over it with you. Or maybe the coach should have taken you aside and had, hey, Hall of Fame wide receiver who never plays special teams since 2011, whatever. Let me go over what you're supposed to do. Get the ball! Get the damn ball! You're Julio Jones! I'm sorry, he, I digress. He had a pass defense a couple years ago. He was on the uh, Hail Mary team. Yes. I, I remember him showing up in the individual defense stats because he got a pass defense yeah. on a Hail Mary. Yeah, he's better, like, better um, in the end zone as a defensive back than as a receiver, I guess, right? <laughs> That's like he batted it down like he always does. <laughs> who's the player this year? There was an offensive player who got a sack on a fake punt. Oh my god! Like I love those kind of random stats. Um, I can't right. remember the name of the player right now. All right, I remember what? is DK Metcalf making the the sick tackle. So Justin <laughs> Watson. That's who it is. From speaking of the NFC South, Justin Watson from Tampa Bay. It was Justin Watson from Tampa Bay who had uh, a sack on a fake punt this year. He actually was recorded. He was like the first offensive player to ever get a sack. It's uh, like, young Julian Edelman, maybe, right? Primarily offensive player. I don't know if Edelman ever had a sack or Troy Brown when he was playing right, both ways right. or Mike Furley. Remember Mike Furley from the Lions? Yes, he played both yes. ways. He played with Mike Furry, not Mike Furley, Furry. Furry. He Mike played Furry. a season at safety and then otherwise he was a wide receiver. So he was a right. good play guy. All right, so we've devolved talking about great both-way players, and that's a sign that the Football Outsiders Radio Hour is kind of over. <laughs> so I want to thank, again, everybody who tuned in, twitch.tv slash fboutsiders. We are here every Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, and then we are posted on YouTube as well as in your favorite podcast feed, the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for watching, uh, for chatting with us on Twitch. A reminder about all the cool stuff. The Football Outsiders redesign lowered prices for FO Plus, only $2.50 a month for an annual subscription through July 1st, uh, $4.99 a month for a monthly subscription through July 1st. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, for watching our Twitch stream, for listening to us, and we will see you next week. Thank you, Mike Tanya and Scott Spratt for joining me. 
and we will see you or actually not see you because this camera works only one direction. You will see us next week for the Football Outsiders Radio Hour on Twitch. Thank you for watching.